This week on Cinemaholics, we are counting down our top 10 movies of 2018. But you won't just hear picks from the regular cast of this show. We reached out to Cinemaholics contributors across the globe to help us figure out the definitive Cinemaholics movie of the year. It's not just a good exploration of what it's like to be an awkward young teen in the age of Snapchat and Instagram. It's also a really funny, beautiful story about how badly each of us want to be seen and known and fully loved by other people. And we're not just talking about the best films in 2018. We're also going to be discussing which films won the box office, Hollywood trends we're noticing for the upcoming year, and plenty more. All of that is coming up ahead on Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews movies for The Playlist, Cut Print Film, and so many more. It is Will Ashton. Hello. Hey, John. I was telling you beforehand, I'm a little stuffed up, so I apologize if that comes across in the air, but I'm ready to talk about my favorite movies anyway. So far, you sound good to me, and I think the takeaway uh, for our listeners is that you listened, you watched so many films, it made you a little sick. So that's your dedication yeah, to display. Yeah, it's about fair, yeah. All right, and I am the author of the novel Killer Joy. I wrote a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory, and I write about film for Adam Insider, Relevant Magazine, and more. I am John Agroni. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com. You can write into the show anytime by emailing us, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com, and you can support our show by becoming one of our patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Speaking of patrons, our patrons-only holiday giveaway is now over. Thank you to everyone who submitted. We have a winner. We asked our monthly supporters of the show to give us their best guesses as to what Will Ashton and myself would choose as our top 10 movies of the year, which is, of course, what this episode is going to be. And the winner ended up being, drumroll please, Will Ashton. Sheehan John, congratulations. Sheehan John, you won our giveaway. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I apologize if I'm not, but... Sian John won a Blu-ray or digital digital release of his choice for any 2018 film, but Will Ashen, he has yet to decide what to get. He actually wrote back to us and stated specifically that he already has all the 2018 films he could possibly want. Chien, you are a true cinemaholic, so we may have to alter the rules a bit and let him pick something from any year. What do you think, Will? Uh, any suggestions? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We could give him uh, Brigsby Bear from last year. That was our film from last year, if he wants oh, that. That's a good suggestion. I wonder if he's seen that. So, uh, right back, uh, we'll we'll keep corresponding with you, and we'll make sure to follow up on that giveaway. And there's something else that John actually got to contribute to as well, but let's get into that. So, it is time for our yearly look back on the best films of the year. Will, but first, you know, we're also about to enter our third year of Cinemaholics. Season three is just around the corner. It's going to begin in just about a month. And we want to start a few new traditions for our annual top 10 episode. We did our first top 10 last year. As many of you listeners know, you know, we've been incredibly lucky and privileged to have a wide variety of talented guests coming on this show over the last two years. And we've slowly but surely built up what we consider a great, impressive network of contributors and friends of the show who are gracious enough to come on Cinemaholics and share their unique insights into the latest films coming out every week. And we did not want to leave their top 10 films of 2018 out of consideration. Their picks matter too, right? So Cinemaholics is a show where we try to consider the thoughts and perspectives of as many film lovers as possible. Will, I know you're really looking forward to your top 10 being the show, but... That's not going to be the case this year. 
if anything, I'm more curious to hear what everyone else has to pick because I feel like my standing is a little shaky, shakier than usual. So yeah, that's right. You were putting in your picks like at the last minute. And I really, yeah. I applaud your marathon movies, Will, because you caught a lot of things this past week just to make sure your top 10 is as perfect and for you as possible. As I could at this point, I think I'll have a more official standing once I see uh, one film in particular we'll talk about in a yeah. bit. But yeah, uh, I did as best I could given the time constraint. Right. And I, it's a pretty rock solid list. It's more rock solid than I thought. I thought you were going to be changing it completely at the last minute, but you, you were nah, pretty steady wanna, on your choices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't want to throw up your whole algorithm. So I, <laughs> and I, I, and I think it's pretty much where I feel I am with cinema 2018 right now, but yeah, I think it's all right. These lists are always subject to change. And you know, the real yeah. point is to celebrate a lot of great films and that's hopefully what this episode is going to do. So like I was saying before, though, I mean, obviously, we don't have the time, we don't have the means to invite on every single guest to, to come on, share their lists, their best films of the year. So we devised a way to include every single one of their choices, their top 10 lists, into a final countdown of the best movies of 2018, according to Cinemaholics. Will Ashton, this is similar to last year when you, me, and Maverick considered yep. Brigsby Bear to be our collective hmm. favorite of the year, because... You know, that film made it onto all of our lists. It was your number one. So we really felt yep. like, okay, that's the movie of the year for us. But this year we're expanding that. We're we're making some we're making it a little bit more scientific um, in a way. So the Cinema Hogs top ten, it's not gonna be just films chosen by me and Will, but also Kimber Myers, Sam Noland, all of the friends of the show who've been on, almost every contributor who's been on Cinemaholics, I think all but just a small handful, including the winner of our holiday giveaway, CN John, who has a list as well. Uh, he wrote in, gave us his top 10. And we decided, you know what? Let's put that in the list as an extra thank you for contributing and for participating in the giveaway. So here's how it all works, though. Will, you mentioned an algorithm. I wouldn't go that far. It really isn't that data specific. I don't want you to hype it up. But, sure. you know, we're going to be referencing, you know, the top 10 lists as we go through our own picks and everything. But at the very end of our countdown, we're also going to reveal the Cinemahawks top 20 using a point system. So this point system, it factors in everyone's choices from across multiple lists. For example, if you put a film as your number one, that film gets 10 points and then it gets added on and so forth. And then we added an extra layer to it too. So it's like if multiple people picked a film, you get extra points based on that. This point system, I mostly devised on my own, but I consulted a very good friend of mine, Jessica Davies. Thank you for helping me out. She was a champion of statistics and helped kind of make sure that this was on the level. So we think that this system is really going to work. And we're going to explain all this and more. If you're confused and wondering what the heck I'm talking about, just listen. We'll get to it as the episode goes on. But for now, let's get this process started, Will Ash. And let's, let's sum up the year as best we can before we get into the nitty gritty. I mean, Will, it's, it's been one of those years where for me, it felt like it was slow. Like I actually feel like 2018 felt long, much longer than 2017. But as far as a year in film goes, how, how do you sum it up? I guess pretty uh, diversive. I, I feel like certainly looking at our list and the list of uh, everyone that's come out and joined us for this uh, episode, I feel like it just varies so much, not only in terms of uh, themes and context, but in genres and tones and mediums. And it, it really was a good year for every kind of film, I feel like, documentary, animation, uh, drama, comedy, what have you. It, it doesn't feel like it was particularly weak in any category. 
as far as I yeah. can remember. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that, but you're right. It does feel like everything kind of got its time to shine. Like you said, documentaries were really great this year. There were so many good horror films. There were great superhero films, animated films. So there were some disappointments here and there, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're yeah. talking more about our favorite things this year. We're not really doing a worst right. of the year or anything like that. And I'm kind of glad we're doing that. Yeah. I'd say if there are any disappointments, they're more individual than genre based. Like I, I, it wasn't like a weak year for something. It was just like, Oh, well that movie didn't live up to my expectations or that could have been better, but there are kind of few and far between when you think about them in retrospect. Yeah. I, I do want to mention this was a huge year for the new wave of black cinema, you know, since the release of get out last year, early 2017, We've seen so many avant-garde films from black filmmakers who've been really given the keys to the castle in some ways for the first time. And we've gotten some seriously original, seriously memorable, and some fantastic films as a result. And some great surprises. I was surprised so many times in 2018 for so many different films. And speaking of, I mean, Will Ashton, I, I've been asked this a lot. How many films did you manage to catch in 2018? I know we're not traditional film critics. I know some critics get up to, you know, several hundred films a year. Yeah. What about you? Uh, you're, so I just wanted to clarify. You're talking about 2018 films, right? Not like films yes. I saw all together in 2018. Right. All right. Exactly. So, yeah, all together I saw – it's a little low for me, so I'm a little embarrassed, but 178 2018 films. That's still more than me. Uh, I, really? I, saw I thought 100... you got way more than – the, yeah, I saw 156. Oh, really? I thought you had like 200. So. Well, no, I, I saw 250, I want to say, films in 2018 total. So counting films from any year. Okay. Yeah. But uh, th that's still a lot of films. I'd say that, you know, it's a little bit more than I guess, you know, the average moviegoer probably. But yeah, some critics see up to like 400 films a year. And that that to me is like you have to be seeing – five to 10 films a week to pull that off. And yeah, that's, that's your full-time profession. There you go. That's more than the films per day. Like that's like at least like yeah. one or two movies a day. So that's pretty impressive. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I know, I know a lot of people like the most films I saw in a day this year, I think one day I saw six films hmm. and that's rough. <laughs> it's really tough to it's do. It's a lot. Yeah. You'd think like, I, I feel like people don't really take that in consideration with like film festivals and stuff. Not, to say I'm an expert or anything, I've only been to a handful, but if you really like, you think like, oh, you have it made, you can just sit down and watch a movie. It's, it's more exhausting than you'd think to watch that many films. Like even watching two or three in a day is pretty tiresome. Right, right. Well, we might be talking about some of those festival experiences later because some of my favorite films of the year I saw at a festival. So that tends to be the case too, because you're able to watch a film unfiltered without other opinions kind of creeping in and that tends to make the more memorable experience but we're going to get all to that and oh, there was another question will that we received someone wanted to know how we make our lists someone asked us on twitter like what mm -hmm. is the process like how do you decide which films to put into your top 10 and how to rank them hmm. yeah i mean speaking for me alone i feel like my lists are just the films that left the biggest imprints on me yeah and that's not to say that they are the best i actually think the best film of 2018 is in my honorable mentions hmm. and I'll maybe say that in a bit. I don't even know if I can say it now, but, um, I'll, I'll hold off. Yeah. It, it, if we're, we're not looking so much, I think it's as the best films of 2018. If you want that, you can go to like New York times or whatever. Like you can certainly figure out what is quote unquote the best films of the year. For me, these are just like the films that like 
spoke most to me, kind of got into my like mental psyche the most this year, really stuck out. Like I said, left their imprint on me or like kind of just made a, a big impression on how I kind of lived day to day throughout 2018. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a number of different factors. It's not a perfect science. I just picked 10 films that were like, this is like how I felt represented in 2018, I guess. Like, this is how I, how I made it through the days. I love that though, because it almost makes it sound like if somebody really wants to get to know you as a person, well, they can watch these films and that that's a very useful thing. I think for people who you know, want to follow your film reviews and and keep up with your tastes. I know for me, everybody does their top 10 lists differently. Everybody ranks films differently. I, I rank all my films over the course of a year. So I've ranked every movie I've seen in 2018. I have something called a 2018 movie power rankings. And, you know, people, people get a hoot out of like, when I ask them to just ask me which film, you know, I've assigned a number to. And in some ways it's a little overly, scientific maybe like maybe it's it's giving too much credence to my whims right but as far as my top 10 goes the way that i rank is kind of a combination of what you what you're saying there like what had an impact on me and but also you know films to me that matter and the broad scheme of things I, I try to factor in okay does this film matter also does this film have some sort of technical merit that really overshadows the competition and then I really just take a look at the story and try to understand how everything feeds into it from the performances to the cinematography to the overall message of the movie. And once I get it to the end of that, I do start to get a sense of which films are better than the others, in my opinion. And it changes, of course. And I think sometimes perspective alters my mood, it alters what I think of a film a year after seeing it. And so that's kind of what we meant by it is a little fluid because sometimes it changes like a year from now, I'm sure there's going to be films that didn't even make my honorable mentions. And I'm going to look back on and be like, you know what? That was a really great film. I wish I had given it more attention. And mm -hmm. yeah. so I definitely think that's the case. And hopefully this is a good preface as we move into our final rankings. But before we get into all that, we do want to do a little bit of drive through statistics we took a look at the top 10 episodes of Cinemaholics. Well, I'm, I think I'm more oh, excited boy. and interested in this than you are, but uh, we, yeah, I mean, I'm not disinterested. <laughs> I, I, I certainly, I mean, I don't think, uh, it's fascinating. It really yeah, is fascinating. Say, yeah. I mean, I was going to say the second film in particular was not like if you'd asked me, or if you told me a year ago, like this is what is going to be our second most listened to episode of the year. I would not have predicted this one for sure. So same go ahead. Here, yeah. Same here. Well, you know, and this isn't an exact science, obviously, because, you know, there are episodes that have come out in December and November that haven't had time to collect a lot of downloads, but this is where we're at right now. And that's what we're going to share. So our, num our number one film, our most listened to episode of Cinemaholics was Avengers Infinity War. And our second place, as you mentioned, was mid nineties. I can't yeah. believe it either. That was a that was an episode that was chosen by the listeners on Patreon. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Third place was a quiet place. Then Incredibles two, our Crazy Rich Asians episode did really well. I was very surprised and heartened to see that. 
our Paddington 2 episode, which of course it had a whole year, <laughs> Paddington 2, yeah, to get yeah. to that spot. Black Panther as well was after that. Uh, Ready Player One, I was kind of surprised, but I guess people were really interested in that one. It was a divisive film. So, mm-hmm. And then Solo, A Star Wars Story, and finally Bohemian Rhapsody, which is one of our most listened to episodes really of the fall. I think it is the most uh, next to maybe mid-90s, depending on what you count as the fall. But hmm. Those are the top 10 episodes of Cinemaholics. I mean, what what are the takeaways, Will? What are, should we be doing more uh, you know, indie A24 films into 2019? That seems to be our niche. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be really curious to hear, at least from our listeners, like what, what made the 90s so listened to. Is it like our conversation in particular, or is it just that there weren't that many episodes about mid-90s and just film podcasting in general? I think it's so out that way. Yeah, I think it was an SEO thing. I think that not a lot of podcasts dedicated an episode to it. And so some people probably discovered us. And thank you for that. Thanks for giving us a shot. And I I love that conversation. I think that was a great movie to talk about. And it wasn't on anybody's lists or honorable mentions, but a few of these films and our top 10 episodes were. In fact, most of them were. So (laughs) almost all of them, actually, now that I'm looking at it, I don't think... It looks like mid '90s is the only film that didn't make it to any of the lists. Now that I'm, oh really? I'm looking at Not, it, yeah. um, I mean, I won't say on the air, but even this one, I don't. Oh yeah, yeah, it was on two lists, believe it or not. So we'll hmm. get to it because there are some outliers. We're going to talk about the films that only one person picked, and that's that's an interesting takeaway. So, and then real quick, we do want to mention the box office results of the year. It was a tremendous year for Disney. As usual, they had the two top grossing films of the year, Avengers Infinity War and Black Panther. Avengers, Avengers Infinity War made over $2 billion internationally. Black Panther made more domestically than Avengers Infinity War, but its global take was a little bit lower. Then you had Universal in third place with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. No surprise there. Uh, Dead very well around the same as the first Jurassic World. Incredibles 2 did pretty well, so another Disney film. And then Sony, surprisingly enough, oh, and I should mention, Incredibles 2 almost was the top-grossing animated film of all time. Wow. Uh, after, yeah, it almost beat Frozen. I think it came within about 20 million or something like that. Mm. So, yeah, Disney has the two top-grossing animated films of all time at this point. I think it yeah. missions in the number three spot or number four spot with uh, one of the Despicable Me or Minions movies. It was uh, such a weird year for Disney, like as far as their financial uh, reports are concerned, because they had so many films that were like among the highest of the year, grossing or box right. office wise. But then they had like these big disappointments financially. That Wrinkle um, in Time, Solo, yeah, a Star Wars Story, right. Cracker in the Four Realms. It, it is interesting the disconnect there. But you know what? Yeah. When they make it big, that kind of overshadows the the misses, right? Yeah, I guess so. Sony had a great run with Venom, which surprised a lot of people. It made eight hundred and fifty five million worldwide huge win for sony and it hasn't factored into the worldwide totals yet but so, uh, spider-man into the spider-verse is a film that might is already doing pretty good box office for them not amazing compared to venom quite yet but that film has legs eight legs to be exact and then warner mm. brothers is in the number six spot i had to do it yeah. with aquaman and aquaman is climbing and climbing I, I have a feeling aquaman would be much higher on this list if it had been released earlier in the year right so in so, yeah. The, yeah, in the perspective of 2018, it's not as important to the fact that it, it is making so much money. Mission Impossible Fallout, a big win for Paramount there and the number seven spot, but it's the only Paramount film on this list. 20th Century Fox had two films 
on the top 10, the number eight spot, which was Deadpool 2, and the number nine spot, which was Bohemian Rhapsody, which is- So Disney. That's right. Uh, Yeah. As of January 1st, Fox is now under Disney. We're going to start to see- a kind of slow death of Fox over the next couple of years as they phase out all of the films that they have in production. And it's kind of a a last whimper almost for Fox. It's, it's sad in a lot of ways. A lot of people are going to be losing their jobs Uh soon and it's going to be very, it's going to be very tumultuous and I'm not on the balance. Well, I'm not very happy about this merger. No, I'm not. No, I, I, it's really sad. It is, but we'll probably talk about that at a later date. We haven't really given it its due, but and then we should mention, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is cleaning up overseas. Uh, it's one of the top grossing films in the UK as well, and it's doing super well. And now people are talking about it getting a Best Picture nomination, and as expected, that is not a welcome... I know, you, you definitely hated the film a lot more than I did, or disliked it more than I did, and... It made a few. It made a few people's lists on on our top tens. So, oh man, people really like this film. Uh, and then, last, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, so that's another Warner Brothers film, which it didn't do nearly as well as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the sequel. But it still did fine. Uh, it did not more than fine. It did pretty good for Warner Brothers. They needed a film to do this well. But yeah, it's not coming anywhere close to Aquaman. And I should mention, Will, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, another film that made somebody's top 10 yeah. in, in our lineup. So very interesting what people decided to pick. Yeah, did not expect that one, but uh, <laughs> yeah. There were a few that I was like, all right, that different tastes, different tastes. But okay, let's cut to the chase. Will Ashton, let's get into our top 10 films of 2018. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about other top 10 picks as well, but we're going to start with our own real quick here. Will Ashen, what is your number 10 of 2018? Yeah, so this is a pick that um, I was changing literally at the last minute, um, as John can attest. Uh, I was back and forth a lot. I was trying to figure out where I would land on 10, and there's a good chance that uh, in like a week or two, this one won't be in my top 10. Just Check back in tomorrow. Given yeah. Some, yeah, who knows? But um as I stand right now, um, I decided to go with Incredibles 2, which is not to say it's the best superhero movie of 2018, and I don't think it's like the most accomplished, well-made film either. I, I think you can point out a lot of its problems story-wise. I think there's a lot of issues you can make, as many people have already. But for me, as looking back on this year, which is, as I said before, like I think a really great year for superhero films. And for animation, um, this one really stood out to me. I, I admittedly am nostalgic because Incredibles one is one of my favorite movies. So, uh, it it did kind of fill me with that childlike glee that I uh, don't often get. But there was just something. I just think it's really well made. I think there's a lot to like here. I do think the jokes are great. I think the characters are still just as well developed as they were before. And uh, I really enjoyed my time here. I think this is some of the most fun I've had in the movies in 2018. And uh, yeah, I just looked back on 2018. This is the film that at least for me really like lifted my spirits and got me into a good vibe. So I'm going to put it at number 10. Incredibles too. It's in my honorable mentions. I, I really like this film a lot and I, it had some of my favorite moments of the year. I'm, I'm right there with you. It just, for me, it was a really tough year because there were just a few films that were over the top for me in this one. And I guess this was your favorite superhero film. I mean, I don't want to 
you know, spoil the rest of your list, but I don't think you chose any other superhero films. No, yeah, this is the only one that made my top ten. But it, like I said, really great it's a year great for one superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. All right, Incredibles two. It's on several other lists as well. We had Matthew Serafini. He put it as his number seven, or sorry, his number mm-hmm. nine. And wow. Jake Holland put it as his number seven. Jonathan Carlin had it at number five. Aaron Dicer had it at number four. And the person who had it the highest on any list was Craig Hanks, who had it at number three. So that's Incredibles 2. Great film. And not surprising to see a Pixar film making a lot of lists this year, even though it is a sequel. And I have a feeling, you know, if this was Coco, it would probably would have been a bigger splash among some of the Cinemaholics. But yeah, great pick. All right. My number 10 film is Wildlife. Sorry I'm late. Talk to your father. Tell him not to act like a fool. I am not being foolish. I put my name on a list. I waited for my chance, and now they finally have a place for me. You don't know anything about fires. You'll get burned up. Well, I've been reading about them. I know enough. You've been reading about them? You've been studying up? Don't turn my words on me, Gene. Dad, what's going on? Your father is leaving us to go and fight those wildfires. What? Dad, why? Ezra, Jerry, you won't take a job at a grocery store, but you'll go out with a bunch of deadbeats and risk getting killed. Yeah, I have to go there and leave it. What does it pay? What? What does it pay? I could talk all day about this film, and I think I've already have at one point. Uh, I saw this one back in early November. I talked about it on this show soon after. I forget which specific episode it was, but if you haven't had a chance to see it, I thoroughly recommend it. This film chronicles the crumbling marriage of a tight-knit family in 1960s Montana. I know that doesn't sound like the most riveting story, but okay. So the father, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, is out of a job. He decides to risk his life and sort of abandon his family by battling the wildfires for really a pittance of money. So he leaves his wife, played by Carrie Mulligan, and his teenage son, played by Ed Oxenbold, to take care of themselves in the aftermath uh, with odd jobs and new relationships. It's a troubling, balanced, yet all too moody depiction of what can ruin a marriage, as well as the dignity that we tend to assign to that institution. It's a universal tale. It takes place in the 1960s, but it feels relevant to today. This is a film too with a three, a nearly perfect triple performance here from Mulligan, Gyllenhaal, and Oxenbold. Only one other film in 2018, in my opinion, rivals this sort of triple threat. And we might discuss that film a little later. Now, Will, I know this one, it came pretty close to making your top 10 and is one of the few films for a while that you and I both had in our top 10. Yeah, it was at number 10 for me for a while and uh, it was very close. And I really liked the film a lot, too. I didn't get a chance to talk about it on the show. But, yeah, I, I really was taken by it. I'm, I'm bummed it's not really getting that much uh, consideration critically or commercially as far as the other films are concerned that we're going to be talking about. But, yeah, I really liked it. And I, I think it's um, easily among the best debuts of the year and certainly among the best performances of the year for Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal as well as um, – what was the kid's name again? I forget. Ed Oxenbold. And, you know, I did mention, go, yes. of course, Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan who did this film. And they, like you said, wonderful debut. I, I think that they have a, a great collaboration ahead of them. I think they they work really well together. And they're, of course, also romantic partners. And it's a very interesting dynamic. But that said, you know, this film also made it onto a few other lists. Kimber Myers and Abby Olchesi both put Wildlife on their list as their number five pick. So they liked it even more than us. And I can see hmm. why. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, next up, number nine. Will Ashton, what is your number nine pick? Yeah, so for me, number nine is the Fred Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which was directed by Morgan Neville. And as I said before, it explores the life and career of Fred Rogers, uh, probably best known as Mr. Rogers, who uh, through his television show, public, or no, I guess it was just PBS, so not public access, but um, through his television show, he was able to inspire and motivate and move and remind everybody of capturing that childhood glee and also speaking to children in a way that was uh, treating them seriously, but also not, you know, laying them fully into the darkness of adulthood. And it's a really touching movie. I think it captures um, Fred Rogers really well. And he is one of my idols from going as a kid. I mean, obviously I'm from Pittsburgh, so he is a folklore here. He's uh, a big deal. And it was. Uh, it's not an easy task to make a movie that is worthy of Mr. Rogers, but I think Morgan Neville did it very well, and um, it was a really great reminder of why we need people like Mr. Rogers. And it's really a shame that he's no longer with us, but I think it's safe to say that his impact is still with us, and I think the movie really captures why that impact is still with us. And I hope the um, biopic with Tom Hanks uh, that's coming out, I believe, sometime this yeah, year. from is going Dr. To be, Mariel Heller. Yeah. Who did Can You Ever who, Forgive uh, Me, a film that might get yeah. brought up later. Yeah. So I hope that movie is uh, at least as good as this one. But yeah, um, yeah it really, I, I think this documentary really spoke to me and I'm glad it got made. So that's my number one, nine pick. I, I love this film as well. It made my honorable mentions. It was on my top 10 for quite a while this year. And it's such a great theater experience, you know, seeing it with a lot of other people. It's such a generational film. You know, one of those things that you can see with your parents, you can see it with your kids, your siblings. Everyone has some sort of connection to Mr. Rogers. And even if they don't, they can get something out of this film as well to learn about this really great man. So I'm glad this film is out there. And I think Morgan Neville really hit it out of the park and it made a few other lists as well. It was Candace Frederick's number eight pick and it was Skylar Schuler's number eight pick as well. And the person who had the highest was Matthew Serafini. Once again, Matt had it as his number two. So <laughs> great showing for once you be my neighbor, well-deserved praise all around. Now, before we get into our number, my number nine pick, we do have a special message from a cinemaholic who decided to let us know what he thinks about his favorite film of the year. Hello, my name is Aaron Dicer, and I am a cinemaholic. Hi, Aaron. And I have no desire to stop being one, because movies are awesome. 2018 was incredible, but Roma was the best movie of the year. Which is interesting because I wasn't even sure I liked Roma until I got about 30 minutes in. I had to kind of feel my way around it, but then it locked in in a way where it just owned me and it has every time I've seen it since. Yes, I've watched it three times. I know people say it's a movie they don't want to watch more than once. I don't get that because the nuance of the way Quran reveals the metaphor and message of this film is absolute genius every time i watch it new stuff pops out to me new just little pieces of foreshadowing that i would have never picked up on it's a movie about life and death living in the same frame about joy and sadness living in the same frame it's a movie about motherhood and what it means 
to mother and what it means to be a caretaker and the technical achievement of the film, the type of black and white photography he used, the sound mix that just felt like you were actually living in this place, the characters, the performances, the moments. It's everything I love about cinema and it has kept me thinking and remembering and recalling and honestly, that's what's going to rocket it up my list is that it stays with me in a way that I can't stop thinking about it. And that's why it ends up as my number one amidst an incredible amount of amazing movies this year that also stayed with me, but none as much as Roma. All right. That was Aaron Dicer from the Sift Pop podcast. Love Aaron Dicer's work. Definitely subscribe to Sift Pop when you get a chance. They, uh, they, they're fantastic. My number nine pick, as you can sort of guess, is also Roma. Roma, I've said so much about this film already, so I don't want to go overboard here. You know, we reviewed the film in early December. It's still holding a deep place in my heart to this day. This is the black and white family drama directed by Alfonso Cuaron. takes place in Mexico City and features the new coming talent of Yelitsa Aparicio, who could possibly get a few nominations down the road at some awards. Don't miss this one on the big screen if you can, but otherwise, be sure to give it a look on Netflix. You'll be glad you did because it is far and away one of the best films of the year and one that will last the test of time, I think. And I'm not the only fan of Roma, of course. I mean, this film made it onto six other top 10 lists we have. Three people put it as their number two of the year and another three put it as their number one. So you heard Aaron, of course, praising the film. That was his number one, but also Candace Frederick, who we mentioned. She's from Harper's Bazaar and CN John and our giveaway winner, patron, they both have this as their number one film of the year. So that's Roma. And I think, Will, yeah. you're going to be able to, I, I think, did this one make any of your honorable mentions or? No, it did. Definitely. I, was, I mean, I alluded to it earlier, but I do think if I had to break it down, I think Roma is probably the best film of 2018. Uh, okay. uh, and it very narrowly made my list, but yeah, it's a tremendous film. I really hope people check it out either on Netflix or in theaters. They still can, but yeah, really great film. And, uh, another, one out of the park for Alfonso Caron. Definitely agree with you there. Okay, Will Ashton, your number eight pick. Let's hear it. Sure. Uh, yeah, this is the one that um, I think surprised you when I sent my top yeah, 10 list. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I still can't and believe I it. I don't know why, because it's probably going to win Best Picture, but... Um, <laughs> That's true. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Who knows? It's still an early uh, race, but I think this is probably going to win. Uh, it's A Star is Born, which is the directorial debut of Bradley Cooper, uh, starring Cooper and Lady Gaga, as well as Andrew Dice Clay, Dave Chappelle, uh, a bunch of other people who I can't think of off the top of my head. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? Is that me? That's you. You just write that now? Yeah. Pretty good. I would be hard-pressed, I think, to call it one of the best films of the year, only in the sense that I think it has a lot of story problems that are justified and you can always go with the what does this film say that hasn't been said in the other versions but i think there's a lot that does get said but i think for me 
looking at uh, my emotional resonance with films in 2018, and as Roger Ebert once said, uh, films are empathy machines, uh, something like that, I'm paraphrasing. But uh, yeah, just looking at the films that really spoke to me on an emotional level, that really captured the most out of me on a human level, I think A Star is Born is probably the film that got the biggest response out of me. Uh, it just really took me through a whirlwind of emotions. And you could say it's manipulative, sure. You can say that it it kind of plays the audience in certain ways, but it worked. I think it really, really works. And I think Bradley Cooper gives his best performance in the film. Um, and I think it's tremendous that he was able to get his best performance out of his own direction. And um, I think he's probably going to win Best Actor for this. And I think it's well-deserved. I think he really knocked it out of the park. Uh, and I can't can't help but really enjoy this film. So it's my number eight pick. You know, I do think it's a good film and I think it's, it's getting some good praise and, and I totally understand it. I guess for me, th- this thing's second two acts just don't quite work for me in a way that does hinder this film from being higher up on my list. It actually, it didn't even make my honorable mentions, but there were so many moments in this film that I, I truly did love. This is a film that really understands what we love about music and what celebrity culture translated to today is compared to the stars born from the seventies, the stars born from the fifties and thirties. And I do think this is a good film. And if it wins best picture, I, I will not be heartbroken in the slightest because there's some great filmmaking going on here. There, there's a great opening scene and there's a tracking shot involving Bradley Cooper in this film that I do think is masterclass. And it is pretty impressive that he is debuting with this film. It's a great way to start a filmmaking career for him. And I I hope to see him just push it forward and and put out even better work. Now we have other people who put Star is Born on their list. Adonis Gonzalez had it at number six. Skylar Schuler had it as his number five. And Brandon Katz had it the highest. He put it as his favorite film of the year. It's his Mm. number one. So if Brandon Katz is deciding the Oscars, Will Ashton, then I guess Star is Born is going to be Best Picture. So, hmm. all right. We'll see. All right. So, my next pick, my number eight, is First Man. This is from director Damien Chazelle, best known for directing Whiplash and La La Land. Two very different f- films from this one, obviously. And you know, Will, uh-huh. in preparation for this list, I had no idea so many other people, so many fellow cinemaholics were as into this film as I was. You know, I thought this was a film, you know, that really was going to miss a lot of people's lists, but it's on five. And despite receiving what I thought was kind of a tepid reaction from critics and definitely a middling box office, but you know, I'm not alone in thoroughly loving this film about Neil Armstrong's fateful moon landing portrayed here by Ryan Gosling with Claire Foy in the role of his wife at the time, Janet. You know, I think this film is a wonder work. It truly captures the miraculous horror of this space mission in 1969 and the technical challenges that occurred along the way, coupled with emotional hurdles that Armstrong faced in the lead up to this really grievous undertaking. You know, it was a marvel to see this on IMAX. It pains me to think that most people who skipped the theatrical release were going to have to settle for a small screen experience in the future. But, you know, we, we had a more detailed conversation about First Man back in October you may want to give it a listen. I, I really think it's worth people's times. If they didn't give it a shot, if they thought that the critical reaction wasn't good enough, or 
if they just missed it for whatever reason, I think it's worth checking out as soon as you can. You know, as I mentioned, five other people had this one on their list. Matt Serafini had it as his number six. Sam Noland had it as his number five. Skylar Schuler had it as his number four. CN John had it as his number three. And Aaron Dicer had it at the highest as his number two for the whole year. What, has yeah, your opinion I, changed on this one a little bit at all, Will? Um, I don't all know if it's same. changed, but it's definitely of the films that have come out in 2018. I think it's the one I'm most anxious to revisit because I had really high expectations going in. And for some reason, it I do think it's one of the best made films of 2018, certainly from a technical standpoint. But it didn't quite hit me as hard as it hit other people. And, you know, it happens. Sometimes it, the movie just doesn't hit you the same way it hits other people. But I want to check it out again to uh, revisit and see if my opinion changed, because I do really like Damien Chazelle's work. I think his last two films were high up in my uh, end-of-year list for their respective years. So maybe this Maybe my opinion on this film will change over time, but for now, it, it didn't hit me quite as hard as the other films I'm going to list. Yeah, yeah. You know, Whiplash was my favorite film of 2014, and La La Land Same was here. in my top five. So, great filmmaker, and I think this is another great film from him. So, next up, we have another message, not a recording this time, but Julia Tatey wrote in to talk about her favorite film. Julia is going to be in our upcoming episode of, we're going to be talking about if Bell Street could talk in a little bit more detail, but that's not yeah. the movie she, she sent us. So she wrote about a film that is her number one that I don't think was on anybody else's list. Actually, no, I, I misspoke. It was on a few other lists, maybe one or two, mm-hmm. but here's what Julia wrote into us. I'm going to read it aloud here. In another tremendous year for cinema, Deborah Granick's naturalistic, quiet drama, Leave No Trace, stands apart. Ruminating on intense, harsh themes, Granick's direction is gentle and makes us feel safe at home. Thomas and McKenzie and Ben Foster's respective performances are affecting, even haunting, as they maneuver the landscape of the world and their own limitations. Leave No Trace stays with you after you've seen it, acting as a meditation on all we are capable of giving and our own shortcomings for those we love. That's from Julia Tatey. She writes for The Playlist and a lot of other great websites. We're really excited to have her on the show for the first time. Yeah, We, we bent the rules a little bit because we, we kept us as Cinemaholics contributors. She's a future contributor, Will Ashton, so we, yeah. that's how we decided it was going to be all right. Right. Yeah, can't wait to talk to her next week. Yeah, so Leave No Trace. Um, I, I really yeah. like that film, too. It really is a testament to how good this this year was for films that this didn't make my top 10 are honorable mentions, but I really loved this film. It's so good, but there were just so many others that I think affected me a little bit more, but I do think Thomas and McKenzie has one of the best performances of the year here. Yeah. This is actually one of the ones I didn't get a chance to see. I was um, debating watching yesterday. It just didn't work out, but it was really, I'm going to probably check it out this week and who knows it might end up in my top 10, but yeah, unfortunately as of this time, I haven't seen it, so I can't weigh in. I definitely hope you're able to catch it soon, but okay. Next up, Number seven, Will Ashton, what did you pick? Yeah, so for number seven, I picked uh, what might be uh, both the most relevant and dis- or, uh, not disappointing, I was going to say depressing movie of 2018, which is First Reformed. Uh, this is the new film from writer-director Paul Schrader, uh, starring Ethan Hawke, uh, Amanda Seyfried. Or is it Seyfried, Seyfried or Seyfried? I, I think never, it's Seyfried. No, Seyfried? That's my so best Amanda guess. Seyfried. Yeah, sorry, Amanda Seyfried or Seyfried. Um, and Cedric the Entertainer. Um, yeah, this movie, it, 
for me, looking back on 2018, as far as like my mental state, maybe just with anxiety and just current events and the media and whatnot, uh, the film that I felt really captured just my like kind of turmoil and just trying to figure out my place in the world and figuring out like what can, can I do anything like what can happen like is things really hopeless is there a reason for hope or anything like that I think that film the film that really captured that for me was First Reformed and that's not to say that it's just because of that that the film is on this list I just also think it's really a tremendous piece of work uh, Paul Schrader has been a filmmaker who has um Really shown his talents. Obviously, he's the screenwriter of um, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, among other films. But the past couple of years, he's really struggled to get his vision across. He's had at least two or three films that have been basically disasters, either in production or post-production. So it was really great to see him actually make a good film again. But uh, it also just showcased, I think, everything his career has been leading up to, just the way he challenges faith in his films. Um the way that he kind of sees himself, uh, the way he uh, uses his influences and his work. Uh, and it really just kind of uh, accumulated into a film that I think will stand out as not only one of the year's best, but one of his ultimately best films uh, as well. So, yeah, I really, really liked it. Um, it really stuck out to me, and uh, it's my number seven pick. Yeah, great film. It's in my honorable mentions. And I love Ethan Hawke so much. I just think he is a terrific actor. If he's in a movie, I'm going to see it. I don't care if it's a low-budget genre film or if it's a prestige film that no one's talking about. Ethan Hawke is somebody who's so passionate about film, and it comes across in his performance here. I love how this film tackles faith, how it attacks human beings in the environment, and it asks some seriously tough questions that need to be asked more, in my opinion. Uh So first reformed, great film, and it made a bunch of other lists as well. It's on five other lists. It made... The number eight spot for Aaron Dicer. It's the number seven pick uh, as for Julia Tatey, uh, who picked it as number seven, same as you. It made the number four spot for Chris Sheridan. Abby Olchesi and Kaylee Donaldson have it in the same spot. They both put it as their number three. So great film and clearly a Cinemaholics favorite for the most part. So mm-hmm. it was performed. Okay, my number seven pick was the favorite from director Yorgos Lanthimos. And I'm so happy to say that, Will, because I was so anticipating this one, and I'm so glad it paid off and that I wasn't disappointed. Are the people really angry about the land tax? They'll be angry when the French are sodomizing their wives and planting their fields with garlic. The Tories must not be rode roughshod over, though. And more dead if we do it. It is painful to lose men, but we cannot be half-hearted in this, or they will see our weakness and take us, and we will lose thousands more. None for the Queen. What? But you cannot have hot chocolate. Your stomach, the sugar inflames it. Abigail, hand me that cup. Do not. I'm sorry, I do not know what to do. Oh, fine, give it to her. And then you can get a bucket and a mop for the aftermath. Okay, so this is another film that we discussed recently on Cinemaholics, but you know, I'm going to reiterate my pure love for this wickedly impure, dark, endlessly clever reimagining of the British monarchy, specifically with Queen Anne, portrayed here by the impeccable Olivia Coleman with Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone playing the two ladies of the court who spar for her favor in more and more outrageous ways. You know, I wasn't, you know this well, I wasn't quite as taken with Lanthimos's other directorial efforts, including The Lobster and last year's The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I do really like those films a lot, but you know, this film 
with uh, screenwriters Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara. It, it seems to blend everything I do love about Lanthimos's wit and knack for visual storytelling with a script that feels infused with some deeper purpose that I've always been wanting from him, which is what I've craved, you know, since Dogtooth. So, well, I know we disagree somewhat on the praise for this film, but I vaguely recall you liked it to an extent. No, I definitely like it. Yeah, I mean, for me though, it felt like Yorgimos Lanthimos light. It didn't. I felt like it actually didn't quite tackle as much as the other films of his. I think just mainly because like I felt like with his other films, the writing and directing are usually in sync because it's from they're both from him. And this one, there are a couple times where it didn't feel quite as uh, tightly knit. But the performances are fantastic, and I do think it's uh, it's a great introduction to Yorgos if you want to check out his stuff, but don't want to quite get into the, the nitty gritty darkness quite yet. So yeah. I can it's sort of agree film. with that, but I will push back. I don't think it's Lanthimos light. I think it's Lanthimos balanced and reined in, pun intended. So that's my opinion. And, you know, I wasn't the only one who favored the favorite and made five other lists. Brandon Katz has it as his number nine. Julia Tatey has it as her number six. Robert Yanez has it as his number five. Kimber Myers has it as her number four. And Rebecca Paley has it at the highest. She gave it the number two pick for her year. Okay, so that's the favorites. Next up, we have another message. This one is from Craig Hanks, and he's going to talk about his favorite film of the year. Hey guys, this is Craig from the Legendarium Podcast, and look, I've got a brand to maintain here, so for our 2018 Top 10, we kept it to our favorite fantasy and sci-fi movies loosely defined. Anyway, the list is pretty predictable, lots of Marvel and Disney stuff, but I think two entries might stand out. The first is Annihilation, which has probably been largely forgotten and which Paramount had no idea what to do with in the first place, and that's all too bad, really, because it's great, and we devoted an entire episode to discussing it and Ex Machina, Alex Garland's previous effort. The other standout was Overlord, the Nazi zombie movie, which was a well-written, extremely well-edited, and again, poorly marketed film. It was bloody, it was gooey, and it wasn't for everybody, but it was also a ton of fun. So 2018 wasn't a total loss. And now, happy 2019 to you Cinemaholics, and here's hoping we'll see you all on The Legendarium. All right, that was Craig Hanks from The Legendarium Podcast. Wonderful podcast. He's been on the show before. I've been on Legendarium Great show if you love science fiction and fantasy. You know, Craig's list, his top 10, is very sci-fi fantasy on brand. They they definitely picked some films that really align with their interests, and it's fantastic list. Craig, thank you for writing in and doing your recordings. So let's get into our number six picks. Well, this one, you know, I kind of just want to skip it. I don't want you to talk about this film. I'm, I'm still in protest, but go ahead. What is your number six of the year? All right, so for number six, I picked uh, Brady Corbett's sophomore film, Vox Lux. Uh, it's um, yeah, it's not a film that uh, particularly struck John's fancy, but it really, uh, really spoke to me at least um, as far as how it tackled the relationship between trauma and pop culture. To be, to be uh, clear, film, I'm so glad that you loved it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm glad – I'm glad I liked it as well, but I, I'm disappointed that you didn't enjoy it, uh, at least not to the extent that I did. But um, yeah, no, it, it, I felt like this movie, it, it's not perfect. It definitely, I think, grapples more than it can chew at some points. But I just think the ambition and the way that it speaks so much to how we process uh, like post-9-11 
uh, just our world right now. To me, this actually kind of spoke post more to me in post 9-11 than Vice did in some ways. But uh, yeah, I I just felt like this movie, uh, I I, I don't want to say too much because I think the film is one of those films that is kind of just best experienced because there's a lot that goes on in the plot that you just kind of have to live through. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I found it had a, I mean, it looked beautiful. I, I, I'm glad and disappointed that it got such a big rollout from Neon because I could see it in the best theatrical presentation, but it was mostly empty cinemas that it was presented to. Um, but yeah, the stands, I could see this one being the most divisive on my list. It's definitely not a film for everyone. I think it has like a 62%, if that, on Rotten Tomatoes, but uh, it really worked for me. And um, yeah, that's my number six pick. Okay, you're not alone. The last and two other people put it on their list. One person put it higher than you. First, there's Sam mm-hmm. Noland. He put it as his number eight of the year. And Rebecca Paley put it as her number four. So definitely, you don't have to feel like. You're, uh, you're getting bombarded here. Clearly, there was some love for Voxlux. And so, yeah. All right, moving on. My number six pick is If Bale Street Could Talk from director Barry Jenkins. Again, just talked about this film on last week's show. So I guess you can say I've fallen in love rather quickly. This film is a brilliant overload of heart-wrenching story mixed with a sort of optimism that might feel foreign to some viewers. You typically see films about racial injustice and expect something kind of more cynical. But this film, it's melodic, it's perfectly crafted, and it's an absolutely stunning adaptation of James Baldwin's incredibly nuanced and tough-to-tackle voice. This is another film that you still have the chance to see in theaters over the next few weeks if you can. It has a wider release, and I hope more people do. I think that it's easily one of the best films of the year. And, you know, despite being a little underseen due to the release schedule, Bell Street has managed to land on six other lists besides mine. So Kimber Myers, Abby Chessie, and Cian John all have it as their number seven, so pretty close to mine. May Abdulbaki has it as her number four for the year. Brandon Katz has it at number three. And Candace Frederick has it at the highest. She put it as her number two film of the year. Yeah, the big reason I think this one isn't on my list is because I just haven't had a chance to see it. Unfortunately, it doesn't come out here until next week or this Friday. So, uh, yeah, I I am bummed I didn't get the chance to see it before we put together this list. But really, really looking forward to it and can't wait to see it. I can't wait to talk about it with you. Hopefully next week is the plan. So tentatively for now, we're going to talk about it in more detail. I've already talked a lot about the film, so I can't wait to hear more of what you have to say. And of course, what Julia has to say. So that's If Bale Street Could Talk. And your next film will, before we get into it, two other people had this film on their list. And not only did they have it on their list, they both put it as their number one. So Will, Hmm. before you talk about it, let's hear from Kaylee Donaldson. Kaylee Donaldson wrote in, here's what she had to say. Kaylee Donaldson, of course, is a great writer for Pajiba. Follow her on Twitter. She's fantastic. She also has a great podcast called The Hollywood Read. You should definitely subscribe. But here's what Kaylee had to say about her favorite film of the year. In a year where women directors completely knocked it out of the park across the board, Lynn Ramsey was still head and shoulders above the rest. You Were Never Really Here may only be her fourth film, but it brims with the rebellious confidence of someone on their 14th film, abrasive, deliberately unsatisfying, and utterly unconcerned with simple ideas like closure or exposition. Her anti-noir subversion of the violent male hero was 
endlessly thrilling, even as it rejected the trappings of a conventional thriller. It made you realize just how much you hunger for the catharsis of on-screen violence by denying you the payoff, but leaving you with the traumatic aftermath. Calling any Joaquin Phoenix performance stellar is a common practice, but seldom has he done so much when saying so little. Side note, I have a theory that the more Joaquin Phoenix mumbles, the better the movie is. So of course, <laughs> this is a masterpiece. No actor does this. No actor does as much work through sheer posture alone. He conveys the decades of trauma and suicidal ideation through casual dark humor, slouched movement, and efficient brutality. It won't win him an Oscar, but it should. The whole film should give Lynn Ramsey the freedom to do whatever she wants for the rest of her career. That was from Kaylee Donaldson. I absolutely love what she had to say about You Were Never Really Here. A film that, again, you're going to get into in a second, Will. I might be talking about a little bit later, spoiler alert. But before we move on, the other person who put this as their number one was Rebecca Paley, who sent, uh, or Polly, excuse me, who sent us a recording. Here's what Rebecca had to say about You Were Never Really Here. This is Rebecca Polly, associate editor at Box Office, and my favorite film of the year is Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, starring Joaquin Phoenix as a hitman hired to rescue the daughter of a local politician. Uh, there's an action element here, but what really takes this film to the next level is that it is a nuanced, beautifully done character study about a traumatized man desperately trying to find some sort of connection with the world around him. It's the same sort of theme that was tackled uh, with Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Unlike First Reformed, this script doesn't suck. Sorry. Uh, Like Lynn Ramsey's We Need to Talk About Kevin, You Are Never Really Here is a sort of film that will probably like make you feel like your heart cavity's been hollowed out by a rusty spoon. You might need a dose of Paddington 2 at the end to retain emotional equilibrium. Uh, that said, it is an absolute masterpiece from a director who is prone to making them. All right, so Will Ashton, a lot of people are loving this film and made two number yeah. one lists. But mm-hmm. what about you? It's your number five. What, what do you think of this Yeah. One? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I can say that hasn't already been said um, at, at this point. But yeah, it, it's obviously, I mean, Lynn Ramsey is one of my favorite working filmmakers. I, I think that was solidified for me with her last film, uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. And I've been waiting with bated breath for what her follow-up film would be. There was at one point going to be a, a Western she was going to make called Jane Got a Gun, I believe. <clears throat> it didn't work out. There was quite a bit of controversy, but she finally came back with this film, and it had my favorite actor, Joaquin Phoenix, or at least my favorite working actor today. And it was based on a book I really, really enjoyed called or of the same name by um, Jonathan Ames. So I had a lot of expectations going in, and I was actually kind of nervous, I think, that wasn't going to live up to my expectations. But yeah, I think it's a credit to everyone involved that despite my expectations for the film being sky high, it reached them and in some ways exceeded them. I think the film is beautiful in how it tackles uh, such heavy material as far as the cyclical nature of violence and the way we process trauma. And uh, it's such a well-realized, gorgeous film to look at, but just the way that it has this kind of poetic energy to it. I think that's the way you described it. Bale Street could talk, but it just flows so effortlessly, and or not effortlessly, but it feels like it is like one's mindset and it really captures what is going through this troubled 
uh, complicated character in a way that feels very organic and it feels very effervescent. And it, it just is so good at what it's doing that I just find myself often thinking about this film and how it communicates stuff. And I think there's one scene in particular that might be the most gorgeous scene I saw in 2018. Um, it involved a river at all, say if you haven't seen the film, but yeah, I really, really like this film. It's another one I've been dying to see again, just how it communicates everything it does so well. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is the one I think I actually could see going higher up my list if I think about it more, but for now it's my number five pick. Yeah, while you were saying that, I was actually considering maybe I should push this one up a little bit. Yeah, this one's yeah. on my list as well, and we'll get into how the list breaks down in a moment when I talk about it. But you were never really here. Fantastic film, definitely one that stuck with me, and then some since I saw it uh, early summer. So definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. Actually, I saw that in late spring, excuse me. But okay, before we move on, we have a- another personal message. This one is from Matt Serafini. His favorite film of the year is my number five pick. And let's hear from Matt. If you're lucky, at some point in your life, you get a movie that really feels made for you. As a huge Spider-Man fan, a huge animation fan, and a huge fan of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a movie that was made for me. It perfectly encapsulates everything I love about the character, his legacy, and what it all means to be Spider-Man. It's the ultimate Spider-Man movie. No pun intended. And that's not even touching the animation. I've never seen anything like this movie. It yanks the medium of animation forward and shows us what you can do if you take that leap of faith, as Sony thankfully did here. I'd argue that this is the best representation of a comic book movie that we've seen to date. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is not only my favorite movie of 2018, but probably my favorite movie of the past five years at least. I'll be seeing it a third time this weekend, and I know I'll be watching it again and again in the near future. All right. That was Matt Serafini from the It Ain't Ogre Till It's Ogre podcast. Yeah. That's right. Shouting out your your podcast, Will Ashen, that you do on the side. And I can't wait to hear. I I think, have you announced your season three for It Ain't Ogre Till It's Ogre? Uh, Not officially, but I can now. Um, We're going to tackle Garfield in the movie the 2004 oh, adaptation of Jim Davis's comic. Uh, can't wait. It's <laughs> probably going to be our final season, but not officially. So we'll see. But yeah, that's what we're doing for season three. Great, great note to end on if that ends up being the case. But okay, so as you, as you, as I alluded earlier, this is my number five pick from Matt Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Very excited to talk about this one. I mean, no surprise here, but this is unquestionably a highly popular and highly praised film among critics and fans. And I think the box office is finally catching up to this reception. Again, you know, we talked about this film very recently on the show. I can only echo its praises. I've seen a repeated sentiment on Twitter this week too, where people are now wondering, is this film so good that we should dislike other superhero films a tiny bit less? And, you know, I understand mm. that temptation as much as the rest of you. I, I truly believe it's a special, wonderful animated film and a high mark for multiple genres, which is all the more amazing. I, I still can't believe that Sony has pulled off something like this in an era where Disney and Marvel have felt a little untouchable, save for, untouchable, save for the rare exception. And I'm not alone. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse made it onto a whopping 14 other lists submitted out of 24. It is far and away the film on the most lists we've compiled. So to save some time, I'm just going to mention that three people had it as their number one film. 
Of course, we mentioned Matt Serafini had it as, as his number one. Also, Jake Holland and Adonis Gonzalez had it as number one. Surprisingly enough, though, Spider-Verse is not the film with the most picks as number one. But we will get to that a little bit later. So Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, and I think that made it into your honorable uh, mentions, Will Ashen. It did, yes. Yeah, so... Definitely, you know, it, it got close, it sounds like, but definitely a very loved film. And for me, this was an easy choice. I'm glad it made it into my top five. Now, related to superhero films, here is another recording. This one is from Robert Yanis Jr. from the Crooked Table podcast. Here he, he is talking about his favorite film of the year. Hey, Cinemaholics. Robert Yanis Jr. here of the Crooked Table podcast. So many 2018 films offered rich social commentary, compelling performances, and thrilling spectacle, but no film combined all three quite like Black Panther. As the first Marvel Studios effort that feels not only fun but also significant, director Ryan Coogler's film was not only the year's highest grossing domestic release, but proved to be a true cultural phenomenon. It tackles timely issues like the African-American experience, nationalism, identity, progress, and legacy with a delicate, nuanced touch that challenges moviegoers, all without sacrificing the heroics that viewers expect from their superhero epics. And for that, it's easily my favorite film of 2018. All right, that was Robert Yanis Jr. talking about Black Panther. You and I, we didn't have it on our list, but Black Panther is very high up on other lists. It is definitely a clear favorite. I think uh, so. I think a few people had it as their number one, and then a bunch of people had it number two, and and all sorts of things like that. It, it definitely is a popular film for cinemaholics, and I'd say deservedly so. Yeah, for sure. All right, Will Ashton, what is your number four pick of the year? Yeah, so um, for me, number four is uh, <laughs> another film that I guess. Uh, John and I were divided on, which is uh, the Smidge. yeah, <laughs> um, the recent remake of Suspiria, which is based on the film of the same name from the seventies by Dario Argentino. Uh, this film was made by uh, Luca Guadagnino, who is probably best known for Call Me by Your Name last year, which was, I believe, on your top ten list last year. It was, uh, it was my number ten. Yeah, I don't think I saw it at that time, but it, if it was in my top ten, it was pretty close. I remember. I want to start work on a new piece, a piece about rebirths, the inevitable pull that they exert and our efforts to escape them. We'll learn it now, but Susie, you will improvise freely at its heart. I'm interested in your instincts here. piece will be called Vida Öffnen, Open Again. Ali. This is definitely one of those movies where it's playing to my interest. Suspiria is one of my favorite horror movies, um, and I love the cast in this version. Uh, Dakota Johnson, Till Swinton playing more than one role. Uh, who else was in it? Chloe Grace Moretz, a uh, uh, wide range of talented people, Maya Goth, among others. And um, it was... I guess for some people, a trying film. It was uh, close to three hours. It was pretty bleak. Uh, it didn't quite have the same Technicolor wonderment that uh, enchanted so many people to the original. But I felt the way the film tackled Cold War and 
continued the themes of the film, but in a way that expanded upon them and drew on them more and uh, really developed them and bloomed them into something that I found was pretty gorgeous and poetic in the same way that I felt other films on my list were gorgeous and poetic. But there's just I, I just really connected to this film. Uh, I, I think it's just based on my influence with uh, the filmmaker, my, my appreciation for his other work and also my appreciation for this film. But uh, it just really grabbed me in a way that I think only a few films this year did. Uh, it, it was another film that had really high expectations for, but I think at its best, it is some of the most beautiful filmmaking I've seen in quite a while. So um, not for everybody, as I can assure uh, you, but um, yeah, I really loved it, and I can't wait to check it out again. I've been biting my nails by that uh, January 15th digital download release because I've been wanting so badly to check this film out again. But alas, I'll just have to suffice with putting it as my number four pick for this list. All right. So pretty high up. And I, I got to say, I'm definitely one of those everybody that you mentioned. Film didn't quite work for me, but I know it has its fans. And I really appreciate this film. Unlike Voxelux, which I actively hate, I do appreciate Suspiria. And I, I'm really happy to see so many people really responding to it in the way that they are yeah just didn't quite click for me for whatever reason maybe i do need to revisit it at some point have you did you at least like the score oh of course okay that's it's one of the then we can still be then we can still be friends okay that's great well i mean i even liked the score for vox lux you know so Fair score enough. does I, go oh, a long score way for that it's fantastic yeah i, I love yeah, it really Walker's is work for that film Scott Walker did great work on vox lux i forget who did it for suspiria but oh yeah. tom york man Oh, that's right. Well, I was going to say Johan Johansson, and that would have been blasphemy because I knew that wasn't true, but his name popped to my mind. But all right. So a lot of other people picked Suspiria, and not a, a lot of other people, I guess, relative. Three other people, depending on how you see that. So you're not alone, Will Ashton, as usual. Uh, at number eight, Julia Tatey put it, and we have it at number five from Chris Sheridan and Candace Frederick like you has it at number four. So you two had it at the highest. Nobody had oh. it above number four. So still pretty impressive though. And uh, very, take- very great from Luca Guadagnino. Yeah. All right. So that is Suspiria. My number four pick we've already heard about is you were never really here from director Lynn Ramsey. And you know, for a while, this was my favorite film of 2018 for, for a good while until I saw my number one. This may be my second or even favorite number one Joaquin Phoenix performance to date, as Kaylee Donaldson laid out earlier. And for so many reasons, I mean, this film, it's about a hitman, but it's not flashy. It's not a secret agent kind of hitman. This isn't a movie where action and violence is glorified. It's just, it's not a spectacle. It's a psychological breakdown of a sympathetic yet psychotic individual who clings to a morsel shred of his humanity in a bleak, pointless world surrounding him. Few films have put me in a spell like this one, but you can expect that sort of immersion from Lynn Ramsey. I mean, she is a master at making unlikable characters feel like they could be likable someday. And I shudder to think that some folks actually prefer First Reform to this. I hate to take shots because both films share some DNA with You Were Never Really Here being a spiritual successor to Taxi Driver, as you mentioned, Will, you know, which, as you mentioned, Paul Schrader directed First Reformed. He wrote that way back. He wrote Taxi Driver way back in the 70s, along with Raging Bull. And I 
I love First Reformed, or at least I like it a lot. I don't know if I love it. While I do agree with you, I do think You Were Never Really Here is the better of the two, as I, um, as you can guess from my list. But I do think, at least with First Reformed, I can kind of see, I can see why some people might put it above as a way it tackles faith. Like that might speak to them more than the fairly faithless nature of You Were Never Really Here. So I can yeah, certainly understand why that's. Best, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I, I can see if, like, I don't know if that's the reason why some people put it up higher than you were never here, but at least from that extent, I can understand it. So, okay. Well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. All I can say is that you were never really here was a film that easily resonated with me the most, especially out of the two and plenty of other cinema hogs had it on their list as well. It was on six other lists. So including yours. So seven total. So definitely one of the the highest praised films of the year. We mentioned Kaylee Donaldson and Rebecca Polly put it as their number one, but Chris Sheridan put it as his number seven. Kim uh, Julia Tatey put it as her number three. Cameron Myers had it at number two. You had it at number five. So a popular film among cinemaholics. And I'm so happy to see that. I'm so happy to see this film working for so many other people. I was definitely hoping for that and I'm glad to see it. So that was you were never really here. I don't think we're going to mention that film again <laughs> in this episode, hmm. but I'm glad we were able to talk about it so much because we didn't really get to talk about it much on previous episodes of the show. So next up, we have another message from a cinemaholic. This is from Skylar Schuler, who writes for the Diz Insider. He's also been a contributor for the Decast. So Skylar Schuler wrote about his favorite film of the year, and here it is. Widows is a stellar crime drama and has been criminally underseen. The film is an achievement that manages to juggle multiple storylines while telling a propulsive story that had me locked in the entire time. Daniel Kaluuya is completely vicious in his supporting role. This is Heat meets The Departed meets Gone Girl. Director Steve McQueen has established himself as a modern auteur among the likes of Tarantino, Nolan, and Villeneuve. You you took umbrage, I think, at uh, what the film being underseen. No, I was laughing because he said criminally underrated because it's about. Ah, uh, I see. I, I miss. I misheard you. I thought you were being like, no, it was not. No, underseen, I was chuckling. I, I was see, chuckling because it's a pun. I don't know if it was intentional, but I think it well, was. Well, we've so we've was... cleared the record. If anybody thought the same as me, they now know you were chuckling. And uh, okay, yes, well, I'm glad well, we was a good that up. Good play on words. Skylar isn't so. the only one who appreciated Widows. Also putting it as their number one film of the year is May Abdul-Baki. She also wrote in as well, and here's what she had to say. Steve McQueen's film is layered, powerful, and full of nuance. It's been generally overlooked, and that's a shame because the movie is one of those films that stays with you long after it's over. It helps that it has the best ensemble cast of 2018. Viola Davis is especially a powerhouse, and the film is a feminist journey for these women as much as it is a heist movie, filled with sociopolitical commentary and fantastic directorial choices. Widows is an exceptional film from start to finish. Widows, great film. I, I think it just narrowly missed my honorable mentions. Uh, it might actually be. I, I actually it is. It's in my honorable mentions. I should. I shouldn't have spoken so soon. But Will Ashton, I. I, I think. Uh, I don't think it made yours. No, I, I did like the film. It was good. I. I wasn't quite as high on it, but um, no, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely well deserved praise. I think it's a good film, and glad to see it making some number ones. It was on plenty of other film, plenty of other lists as well. So in addition, they, they had it as their number one, 
but some people had it in their number 10, including Kimber Myers had it at number 10, Julia Tatey had it at number 10. You'll notice looking at these lists that Julia and Kimber are on some sort of like wavelength. They put a lot of films in the same spot. So clearly they're in cahoots. Yeah, they're both playlisters. That's right. That's right. Uh, Kaylee Donaldson put it as her number nine and Candace Frederick had it as her number three. All right. So that is Widows. Let's move on to our number three pick. Will Ashton, what did you choose for number three? Yeah. So um, another one, I guess it's a little out of the box, uh, but I think for me it fits because it's the new film from two of my favorite filmmakers of all time, uh, which is The Ballad of Busker Scruggs, which is – I don't know if we ever cleared this up. Was it going to be an anthology series at one point? Or was no, that just I, I cleared uh, okay. I, I said definitively and I stand by it, they always meant for it to be an anthology film. They they never had plans to turn it into a series an anthology series. Well, in any case, yeah, it's it's an anthology film that's centered around uh let's see, it was six or five. I'm trying to remember. Six uh, yeah, it was six stories. Yeah, six, yeah. Yeah, six different films set in the old west, no connective tissue, which I think threw some people off. Um, but they all tackle the same idea, which is the nature of death and the fairly kind of pointless nature of it in the old West and how like, it's just, just something that kind of happens to everybody. And sometimes it's awkward and funny and sometimes it's tragic and banal. And, uh, it's, it's a film that, uh, I, I would be, I guess, hard pressed to say it's, uh, consistent. I mean, I, I would say that some installments are better than others and I don't think it's, going to be in my top uh, 10 list for the filmmakers just because the Coens have made so many great films that I don't even know where I could rank their films. But for me, I, just looking back on 2018, I just found myself reconnecting with this film more than almost any other film with the exception of my number one film, uh, especially the first segment, which I think I've rewatched at least five or six times by now. Um, that's uh, the titular Ballad of Buster Scruggs with Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, yeah, I, everything about this film, especially as I grow to think about it more and more, I just love it more and more. I, I think it really captures a uh, uh, platter dish of all their greatness. I think it kind of captures everything that they're good at. And I just found it to be such a treat. And uh, I found that it's probably some of the most fun I've had watching their films in quite a while. And I would be hard pressed not to put it at this place, which is number three on my list. Yeah. It just narrowly missed my honorable mentions very close though. And I really like this one a lot as well. It's my second favorite Netflix film of the year, right under Roma. And it's like right there with Shirkers probably. And it's great. It's such a good anthology and it's one that I've revisited twice now. And I've gotten something mm. completely different both times, and I'm glad I'm glad you found a space for it. It's on two other lists. Uh, Ethan Edgehill has it as his number eight, and Adonis Gonzalez has it as his number nine. So you have it the yeah. highest, and yeah, yeah, I figured as much. But I mean, I just love these guys so much, and uh, yeah, I I'd be hard pressed, like I said, to not put it in my top five. So here we are. There, here we are indeed. Okay, well, my number three pick is blind spotting. We talked about this one a while back and will, I know you just watched it for the first time the other day before I Ooh. sum up my thoughts. I want to hear your knee jerk reaction. You just saw the film. What did you think of blind spotting? Um, I liked it. I wasn't quite as high on the film as you were, but, um, I, I gave it a thumbs up. All right. Well, <laughs> as you can probably tell, I liked it a lot more. 
yeah, Blind Spotting is one of those films that reminds me what joy it is to be surprised by something in the theater. I had no idea what I was in for. I hadn't watched a trailer. I hadn't read a review. I had heard from like a handful of people that it was worth seeing, but none of the praise was all that effusive. And I was just floored by this wonderfully weird film that should be despised by the film critic community for the way it jumps in tone from scene to scene. But that's what I loved yeah. about it. It captures the tonal imbalance of real life and how we use humor and lighthearted escapades and rap and music to avoid talking about tough issues, but then also to talk about difficult issues and inconvenient truths about our friendships, about our environment, the police, where we live, gentrification, and so on. I can't wait to see what David Diggs and Rafael Casal do next as performers. Their central friendship in this film is undeniably a fantastic duo, one of my favorite duos of the year. And Carlos Lopez Estrada should get a blank check after releasing this as his debut. This is a, a great <laughs> rental or blind buy if you dig the trailer, but I would also just recommend seeing it cold if you can, if you have the means. The less you know going into blind spotting, the better. And I'm not trying to be punny with that sort of thing, but yeah, that's that's <laughs> where I'm at with blind spotting. It's on four other lists as well. Candace Frederick has it as her number seven. Chris Sheridan has it as his number three, like me. Robert Giannis has it as his number two. And Matt Donato chose Blind Spotting as his number one film of 2018. So I don't know. Maybe we're just seeing something that, that you didn't, Will Ashton, but that's all right. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, um, having seen Sorry to Bother You first, as far as that film explored Oakland, uh, I don't know. I think that film spoke to me more than Blind Spotting. Maybe, like you said, like it was a surprise for you. I had so many expectations going in that uh, maybe I was setting myself up to fail. But I did like the film. I just wouldn't put it in my top 10. All right. Well, that was Blind Spotting. Glad you did get a chance to, to check it out. I think it's worth watching. And next up, Sam Nolan wrote in about his favorite film of the year. And, you know, for a while, Sam was the only person who had an outlier as his number one. So nobody had this film anywhere in their top 10 lists. Uh, until someone did, uh, like almost at the last minute. So Sam, oh. only one other person had their on the uh, had this film on their list, and it was pretty low down. And we should mention nobody had an outlier as their number one. Everybody had a, a film on their number one list until they somebody else picked it up. And I think Will, you came pretty close too. There was only one other person who had your number one on their list and they yeah. also had it as their number one. So I know you're pretty happy to see that. There are dozens of us. <laughs> That's right. So Sam Noland, here is what he had to say about his favorite film of the year. I'm going to have to read it aloud here. This latest outing by David Lowry centered on the notorious career bank robber, Forrest Tucker manages to be exciting, stylish, poignant, and somber all at the same time. The plot focuses on a singular cat and mouse chase, but this is really a movie about the melancholy compromises of getting older and coming to terms with the bucket list items left unchecked. The lead role that is supposedly Robert Redford's last couldn't be more fitting, and Sissy Spacek and Casey Affleck only add to the wise mystique of the story as a whole. I'm not even in my 20s yet, so I find its level of effectiveness and accessibility especially impressive, and it's one of the only movies that comes to mind when reflecting on the very best of 2018. That is Sam Noland talking about The Old Man and the Gun. I forgot to say what the film was, I apologize, but yes, that was The Old Man and the Gun, the reportedly last 
acting performance by Robert Redford. We'll see if that lasts, but this could be his bow out. And it's, it, I think it's a good one to, to, to bow out on. I know, Will, you talked about this film a little while ago, and I think you said you liked it quite all right. And I haven't had a chance to see it myself, but interesting to see it make Sam Nolan's number one of the year. I constantly forget that Sam is 19. <laughs> he, he's wise uh, beyond his years. That's oh, absolutely. Yeah. But of course, but yeah, it just, it always just hits me like, oh yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, no, it's a great write up and uh, I'm glad we got to include that film as well. Well, Will Ashen, let's get into, this is the last controversial pick for you. The, the last film that you picked that uh, didn't quite work for me. Now, I like this film a lot more than I liked, say, Suspiria and Voxelux, mm. but it, it is one that kind of baffles me that people love it as much as they do. So I want to hear from you. Convince me, Will Ashen. Why is this film your number two? Why is it good? Uh, yeah, I mean, of all the films I picked, I would not uh, expect this one to be considered controversial, but sure, let's go with it. Um, yeah, for my number two pick, I picked Hereditary, which is, uh, what was his name? Ari, Ari Aster. Ari Aster. Yeah, his first movie, which, I mean, this is a great year for directorial debuts, but, I mean, this guy has a hell of a career uh, in his way. Um, yeah, so this movie, um, without going too far into the plot, it basically looks at the nature of mental illness, uh, the familiar nature of it, and just how it kind of cycles through and... Uh, you could say that's well tried territory, and I wouldn't be able to deny that. But uh, I felt the way the film communicated its themes, uh, it shook me in a way that I don't think many other films have, especially not horror films, because I watch a lot of horror movies. I, I watch at least 31 in a given year, and uh, a lot of the times, like movies of the horror genre, I like them. They, they're usually good for a good laugh or sometimes like a good fright here and there, but most of them don't really sit with me for too long. Even the ones I really like, like Suspiria, like they don't really like scare me per se, but this is the one film in a long time, as far as horror movies are concerned, that really just kind of like unnerved me to the bone in a way that I think it just, the way, the film's themes, like what it was trying to talk about and what it was saying just resonated with me so much and I felt the masterful way that it communicated story as long as the fantastic performances especially from Tony Collette and uh, oh sorry what's his name um oh, oh Alex Wolf yeah there you go I was I always get him and his brother mixed up yeah but, I think his yeah. Nat Wolf is his brother right but this is Alex Wolf and he's this is his best work I think to date and Tony Collette she should be on all the award circuits right now and it makes me mad that she is not uh because she is brilliant in this movie and i think everyone does a really great job and i am still shooketh by this film <laughs> and i am uh eager to check it out again if maybe behind some covers so that's my number two pick yeah and to be honest I, this probably is my favorite horror film of the year now that i'm thinking about it because i don't think there were any other straight up horrors that I had, like, I don't have any horror films on my top 10 or my honorable mentions. The closest would be Revenge, which is in my honorable mentions, which isn't really a horror. It's a psychological thriller. I, I mean, that's a I'd consider it in the horror genre. Some people could, sure. I, I think that Hereditary, though, as a pure horror, I do appreciate it on that level. And I could not agree with you more about Tony Collette's performance here. It is pretty fantastic. And you're, you definitely have some friends here, Will Ashton, because it's on a lot of other lists. It's on five total uh, the person who had the lowest was May Abdulbaki. She had it as her number 10. Julia Tatey had Hereditary as her number 9. 
and Robert Yanez had it as his number seven. Matt Donato had it at number five. Matt Donato is like the horror guy, and this was mm-hmm. his favorite horror film. Well, he just watches way more horror films than I think anyone I know, and yeah. he made it pretty high on his list. It's his favorite horror film, uh, just based on what he sent us. And then Adonis Gonzalez had it as his number two, just like you, Will Ashton. So you're in good company. It, definitely a film that mm-hmm. worked for a lot of people in the Cinemaholics universe. So that is yeah. hereditary. All right. My number two pick is searching, which searching. Oh my goodness. To be honest, I thought I would be an outlier on this film, but I am not. Thankfully I do have it higher than anyone else though at number two. And I'm happy to see that more people are checking this one out during the awards conversation. I've been hearing more about John Cho being considered, Anisha Ganti being considered, and I'm not convinced yet. It's going to get nominated for much of anything, much if anything, but you know, I'd, I'd love to see this secure some well-deserved technical award nominations, for example, editing and sound mixing, everything like that. So Searching is a digital life mystery thriller where we see a father played by John Cho use technology to try to find his missing daughter. And the film is told via computer screens and cell phones as our way into the lives of these characters. It's a film with pitch-perfect editing, a story with some actual stakes and upbeat moments that help you invest in the main leads. And it has a few twists and turns that make this sort of mystery as thrilling and satisfying as it should be. I'm one of the few fans of the film's sort of insane third act, and I defend it to this day as the rare film that has an answer to the big question that feels somewhat unexpected but also very earned. I love this film. It was a great theater experience. I'm glad I was able to see it in, in with an audience, with people who are really getting into it. It's one of the few films I saw twice this year, and the, I think the only other film I saw twice was Avengers Infinity War, and then my number one film of the year I saw three times. So definitely on brand for me, I suppose. But yeah, Searching, fantastic film, and it was a real contender for my number one. It just barely didn't make it, and I, I love it so much. Did it make your honorable mentions, Will Ashen, or did it get close at uh, least? I don't think so, but I'm glad <laughs> you got so much out of it, but... I mean, yeah, I'm glad you got so much out of the film. And I, I agree with you that John Cho's performance is fantastic. So, uh, right. yeah, I'm glad speaking to so many people. Great film, and I'm glad people are checking it out. Jake Holland has it as his number 10, and Sam Nolan has it as his number 3. So just a few lists, but definitely that film has some fans, including me. Okay, so that is my number 2 and your number 2, which will oh, Ashton, oh. that means... It's time for honorable mentions. And we've said a bunch of them already, but let's go through the whole thing so people can catch up. Starting with you, what almost made your list? Yeah, uh, like I said at the top of the episode, Wildlife is uh, up there for me. Uh, Same as Private Life, which uh, really I debated. I just saw that over the weekend. I really debated putting that at number 10 as well. I thought you were going to do it. Yeah, I was like, ooh, that could probably do it. Yeah, I really like that movie. I, I'm bummed. I don't think you liked it quite as much as I did, but um, but I did like yeah, it. Yeah, just barely missed my honorable mentions. Uh, but it's high yeah, up. It, yeah, it's uh, it has some of the biggest laughs and some of the most crushing lows of the year, and I really got a lot of it. I hope Tamara Jenkins makes more films. Um, Roma, as I mentioned, uh, Timeshare, which is uh, really fly under the radar. Uh, it's on Netflix now. Definitely check that out. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, I don't think you even mentioned that one yet. We haven't mentioned it, but it's on a lot of lists. A lot of people picked it. I think it was very popular as a number four, number five kind of pick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it was, I really liked that. Uh, probably the best in the series. Uh, Eighth Grade, uh, Annihilation, Black Panther, Shoplifters, Shirkers, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Paddington 2, Can You Ever Forgive Me, The Sisters Brothers, and Upgrade. Yeah. Those lot, are my honorable mentions. A lot of great films. The only outlier I see is Timeshare. But yeah, a lot of people had Eighth Grade. Bunch of people had Annihilation. We mentioned a lot of people had Black Panther, Shoplifters. I was happy to see there was probably about four or five people who put that on their lists. Shirkers again, one or two, um, and I got really close to putting that one on my top ten. And yeah, I thought you would. I I really thought about it. I really love that film. Uh, another film I saw twice. There was also Paddington Two, which you know. It's Paddington 2. I'm surprised it hasn't come up already, but it made a lot of lists as well. Just such a charming, wonderful film. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Can You Ever Forgive Me? I was surprised to see that film, The Sisters Brothers, and Upgrade all had more than one mention on a list. So definitely mm-hmm. definitely on the same wavelength, Will Ashen, with the rest of the Cinemaholics. For me, my honorable mentions include, like you had, Annihilation. I also want to mention Thoroughbreds, which I don't think anybody had it on their top 10 list, but I'm sure some people have it in their honorable mentions. Love Thoroughbreds. Great film. First Reformed, as I mentioned already. Three Identical Strangers, which I don't think made anybody's list yet. Widows, which obviously has been talked about. Paddington 2, already talked about that one as well. Won't You Be My Neighbor, which was in your top 10. Assassination Nation, which I think made one or two lists, I want to say, if not... Uh, definitely would be in some honorable mentions. I know some people who love that film more than I do. Incredibles 2, as we talked about, Black Panther, Shirkers, Revenge, as I mentioned earlier, Game Night, which I was surprised to see Game Night made two or three lists. Some people really liked that one. It didn't get all that high up for anybody, but some people had it number 10, number eight, things like that. Tully, another one that was on a few lists. I was happy to see that one got some love. Actually, I think that one was an outlier. So we're going to get to that in a second. And then Avengers Infinity War, I, I still really love that film. I love the ending of Avengers Infinity War, another really popular film for Cinemaholics. We haven't talked about it yet, but made a lot of people's top tens. I think it was a lot of like number fives and I think maybe a few people had it, like number four, number three. So that one definitely got a lot of points just for being on a lot of different lists. So those are our honorable mentions. Before we get into our number one films of the year, let's talk about the outliers. So these are the films that somebody picked that nobody else had. And we should mention Will Ashton, you and I, we didn't have any outliers. Uh, All of our films were chosen by somebody. And yeah, that's right. So first up, we have All About Nina. We have Tully. We have American Animals, The House That Jack Built, Shrek Retold, Overlord. Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Private Life, The Tale, Bird Box. Very surprised to see that. Bird Box. Wow. Yeah, somebody really liked that one. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Really love that pick. Juliet Naked, Ocean's Eight, Bohemian Rhapsody, Christopher oh. Robin. So, But no, Lights, Camera, Jackson did not yeah, contribute to Yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna say did, did Lights, Camera, Jackson put in this one? Yeah, yeah. Zama, which almost made my honorable mentions. It was literally oh. between that and Avengers Infinity War. Mm. Very great check film. That out. Yeah, I hope you do soon. Anna and the Apocalypse, Bad Times at the El Royale, Border, which I've really been meaning to see. Bodied, again, it's on YouTube Premium, and I'm kicking myself because I had a chance to see it, and I didn't. So it's I good. do want to see that one soon. Yeah. The Night Comes for Us, Shirkers, Minding the Gap, 
Cold War, which again, another film that I haven't had a chance to see yet. And I've heard Cold War is amazing. <laughs> I have a feeling it could make one of our top 10 lists or probably make a few top 10 lists here. If uh, more people had seen it. Maybe. I don't know. I liked it. I, I wouldn't put it in my top 10. Truth be told. Yeah. Ralph breaks the internet. Creed two vice Stan and Ollie ready player one, the death of Stalin and the writer. So some really great films in there, some films that I don't necessarily love as much, but hmm. that is the beauty of lists like this. We definitely had a mix of responses, some really unique responses too. Thank you to everybody who contributed a film or a top 10 list and a message, but we're not done yet. We're going to get into our number one films of the year. First up, Will Ashton. Only one other person put this on their top 10, and hmm. it was Chris Sheridan. He also put this film as his number one. What is this film? And Will, why is it your number one? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, my number one pick is Mandy. You and that ugly little whore. You think you're so in love. I'll show you love. Lucy? <sighs> Neil. Now show him how much you love me. It's the second film from writer director Panos Kosmatos, I believe. Uh, that's how you pronounce his name. Um, but yeah, it, it's probably best known as the, uh, revenge film where Nicolas Cage, uh, has a chainsaw fight, but I think more than that, it's a pretty, uh, I, how do I even describe Mandy? It's like this seductive film that somehow combines the art house world with the kind of schlocky sensibilities of Nicolas Cage's later works. And it's this film that shouldn't work as it does. It shouldn't be this film that comes together in this way. It should be like this kind of janky uh, offline type film. But it really works. I think it's a credit to the director. And I think it's also a credit to Nicolas Cage, who are um, really working in sync together. I think they both kind of understand each other in a, a spiritual sort of way. And they produce... This film that, like on paper, it doesn't sound like anything particularly special, but watching it, especially in the theaters or even at home at night, I think it really just kind of gets into your system. At least it did for me. And it, you kind of become one with it. And it's like a psychological, uh, like almost high of some sorts. Like it's it, you, even if you're not doing drugs, it kind of feels you're, like you're high watching it. And I debated whether even to put this at number one just because I was like, well... I mean, there are so many great films this year. There are so many films that really stuck out to me and spoke to me on so many levels. But I think for Mandy, it just it just so much it, it idolizes, I think, everything that I feel like I want out of a movie in some ways. Like it just it's all these elements I love put together in a way that works, I think, impressively well. And uh, it's the one film from 2018 that I've seen twice all the way through. And I am eager to check it out again. So that is my number one pick for 2018. All right, Mandy, what a film. 
I I just yeah. saw this one recently. I, I really liked it. I, I I'm really glad I liked it because I, I knew it would probably break your heart if I didn't. And but no, this this film really works. I mean, it takes you on such a trip. It's a real. Mm-hmm. It's a weird movie and two ways. Yeah, yeah. The artistic backgrounds and the creative cinematography here is just. Oh, it's wonderful. It's so good. Yeah. It, it's just so good yeah. at like capturing a mood and a feeling. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're like diving into an album cover from the seventies. Yeah. And 80s. Very and, metal. Yeah. Yeah. Which that was the motif that I wanted. It's the motif that I got. It, I don't love it quite as much, but I definitely really like this film. And I, I think that, uh, I think that the love for it is well-deserved from, I, th- I know a bunch of people have been liking it and been recommending it. It's, you can get it on Shutter right now, which is how I saw mm-hmm. it. You just sign up for a free trial, and go, I definitely recommend checking it out. Shutter is a great streaming service too, if you're interested. Yeah. It's fantastic. I mean, just, I, you can sign yeah. up for the whole thing. I, I would say, you know, beyond the free subscription, that's what I'm I have saying. It. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. try it out. Do the free trial. See Mandy, and consider consider subscribing. It's it's definitely worth your time. I think it's a good a good service all around. But. Yeah, great number one pick. Like I said before, only one other person had it. Chris Sheridan obviously really liked it, and I think you saw that coming. I think uh, you mentioned you, you had a feeling he, he liked the film as much as you did. Before we move on to my number one, I'm not alone because a few people liked this one as well. We have two recordings to share. The first one is from Tyler Carlin and Ethan Edgel of the Bacon and Eggs podcast. Their favorite film of 2018 is the same as mine. Some would call that copycatting. I don't. I just think it's great minds thinking alike. But here is what Tyler and Ethan had to say about their favorite film of the year. When I think about why Eighth Grade was my favorite movie of this year, there's a few points that come to mind for me. For one thing, it's shot like a horror film, which is, I think, incredibly accurate. You know, this movie is about the horrors of being an eighth grader that doesn't have many friends. And it did an extremely good job of reminding me of the horror of going to the cafeteria on the first day of school in a new school or going to a pool party where you didn't have any friends. And all of a sudden you had to take your shirt off in front of everyone that you went to school with and you didn't know what they were going to say. It was also incredibly real. I felt like Elsie Fisher actually looks like an eighth grader. You know, a lot of people praise something like Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but even Tom Holland is in his 20s. Elsie Fisher really does look like a kid. I thought it tackled some real negatives in a way that a lot of the other teen movies I've seen haven't. Uh, it's also from a genre that isn't typically my go-to. Uh, you know, I, I love teen movies, but this was shot and told in, in a different way than what I'm used to. And the fact that it was still able to grasp me and bring me in in the way that it was to the point where I wanted to recommend it to everyone that I knew is extremely important to me. Additionally, I actually, when I saw this movie, I remember... Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again was playing next door, and it was almost poetic because it was like, here's this movie about this horrified teenage girl, and next door is all of these adults watching this, you know, rom-com romp, sing-along with ABBA songs that have no idea what's going on in their children's lives. And to me, that was that was a really sort of poetic feel. So that's why I choose 8th Grade as my number one movie for the year. Howdy folks, this is Ethan from Bacon and Eggs, a movie lover's podcast here, and I'm here to talk about my number one movie of the year. I picked 8th Grade by Bo Burnham because it is a bold and different kind of movie that we haven't really seen before in the past few years. It feels almost like a horror movie about how bad it actually is to be a kid. It's bold, it's inventive, and it's 
incredibly well told, incredibly well shot, and just a consummately wonderful story about being a child, about being a young person, especially in America, especially at this difficult time in everyone's lives. And I think it's a really important movie. I think it's the kind of movie that parents should want to show their kids, even though it got an R rating. It's an important movie for everybody to see, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're a kid or not. I just thought it was a really good movie. I thought it was one of the best that came out all year. I loved almost everything about it, and it's been one of the best films I've seen in probably the past three or four years. All right. That was Tyler and Ethan from the Bacon and Eggs podcast. Wonderful podcast. I've, I've had the privilege to be on there a few times. Tyler was on an episode of Cinemaholics pretty recently, and we had a lot of fun talking about Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. So next up, though, we have another recording. This is from Abby Olchesi, who shared her favorite film of the year. No surprise. It's the same one. Here's what Abby had to say about eighth grade. Hi everyone, my name is Abby Olchesi and my favorite movie of 2018 was 8th grade. When I think of movies that I truly, really loved this year, the first one that comes to mind is 8th grade. It's not just a good exploration of what it's like to be an awkward young teen in the age of Snapchat and Instagram. It's also a really funny, beautiful story about how badly each of us want to be seen and known and fully loved by other people, and how our quest for that often takes on performative qualities. As someone who also enjoys director Bo Burnham's comedy, I also think this is the kind of movie that only someone like him, someone who's intimately familiar with, understanding of, and repulsed by social media platforms could have made. Eighth grade is hilarious and accurate and sweet, and I loved it with all my heart. All right, that was Abby Olchesi from Slash Film and Birth Movies Death. Abby was on our Tully episode, I want to say. Love her work and love her insight into that film. Eighth grade is my number one film of the year. I said one more week of eighth grade, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, huh? I can't believe you're gonna be in high school. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I don't know. You excited? Yes. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> no other film this year has so completely grabbed and held onto my heart like eighth grade. Elsie Fisher's performance as a girl dealing with the awkward transition out of eighth grade is one that I'm going to be remembering for years to come in the way that it captures this current time with absolute accuracy and potency. You get the sense that director Bo Burnham used this opportunity as a first-time film director to go down avenues more senior directors wouldn't even think to consider. You know, trying things out that other directors would probably think isn't worth their time. You know, I've praised this film quite a bit since seeing it last spring, but I want to highlight something I don't think I fully appreciated until the third viewing, and that is the music and score by Anna Meredith. Fans of Bo Burnham might actually think and assume that he is the composer because his stand-up specials have historically used a lot of music, but he had the sense to bring in a synth-pop composer, Anna Meredith, who can really translate the pop music that someone like Kayla in this movie might actually listen to, but in a way that's still accessible for everyone watching who is not an eighth grader or a particular fan of the genre, for example. I'm probably going to watch this movie for the rest of my life, and it may go down as one of my favorite non-genre films about adolescence ever. I'm so happy to see it strike a real chord with other cinemaholics more people picked 8th Grade as their number one film of the year than any other film. 
with Spider-Verse as a close second. Eighth grade was on four people. Four people picked it as their number one, including me and Tyler, Ethan, and Abby. It was on 11 lists total and so excited to see that. Though strangely, no one had it as their number two. So it was kind of all or nothing, eighth grade, but it made your honorable mentions. Will Ashton, I know you liked the film as well. Yeah. And uh, it's great. It definitely is a film that definitely is a is a winner for, for a lot of cinemaholics. But let's see how it actually pans out for the cinemaholics top 20. Now, we've teased this up quite a bit. The way the point system worked, kind of mentioned this before, but... If a film, let's say a film was in the number 10 spot, it got one point. If the film was in the number six spot, it got five points and so on. So we factored in where it was on the rankings with the commonality of it, how many people picked it. We also had some films that would tie. So one of the things that we did was we took the number of times it was on a list and we doubled it. So eighth grade was on 11 lists. So it got 22 points on top of its rankings. little complicated, but it's just our way of sort of prioritizing not just the ranking, but how many people actually put it on their list at all. So it's a combination of factors, and I'm really happy with where it landed, to be honest. I think that it's a great top 20. Let's list them off now. At number 20, we have Suspiria, which got 31 points. 19, we have A Star is Born, which got 32. At 18 is Paddington 2 with 33 points. 17, A Quiet Place with 38 points. 16, Incredibles 2 with 40 points total. At 15, Hereditary at 43. 14 is Widows, which got 44 points. 13 is The Favorite, which got 45 points, just barely beating Widows. Then number 12, First Reformed, which was in the top 10 for a while. It got bumped down pretty late in the game, but First Reformed had 46 points. At number 11, Blind Spotting, which had 49 points. So just barely got pushed out of the top 10. All right, and now our top 10 films of Cinemaholics in 2018. So at number 10, First Man got 50 points. Now, it tied with our number nine. Our number nine was Annihilation, which also got 50 points. But Annihilation had seven placements, so it made seven lists. First Man made six, so we put Annihilation above First Man. Annihilation, like I said, number nine. Number eight, If Bale Street Could Talk, which I was very happy to see this one. I think it was out of the top 10, and then one of the last lists submitted had Bale Street pretty high up, so it pushed it to the number eight spot with 55 points. With 59 points, number seven, Mission Impossible Fallout, which again, neither of us had on our lists. It's one of the few films on this top 10 that you and I didn't, just didn't have. And then number six, this isn't a surprise, you were never really here with 68 points. Did super well. A lot of people had it as their number one or similarly in the, the higher echelons there. Number five, which I was surprised this one was looking like it was going to be either number one or number two, but at number five was Roma, which got 73 points. It did pretty well, but it slipped a little bit as the list started coming in. Number four, 
Avengers Infinity War. This one was on a lot of lists, which really pushed it up. It got 81 points. However, it is not the, the, uh, the highest superhero film on this list. Next, we have Black Panther at number three with 86 points. Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War were neck and neck, and it really did come down to one last list. Somebody put Black Panther on, and that pushed it over the top. This one really surprised me, Will, and for a while there, I thought it might actually get number one, and that is Eighth Grade at number two. It got 97 points, did really well. Again, a lot of people had it as, as their number one. A lot of people had it high on their list. Eighth Grade, I'm happy to... I'm content with this decision. I'm sad, Will. Mandy didn't make the top 20, but that just that that is a testament to your originality, your individuality, so take that as you will. And then finally, at number one... Not really a surprise here if you've been listening and paying attention, but Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, 134 points, won by a landslide, really because like we said, it was on the most amount of lists. It seemed like everybody really loved this one. It was on my top 10. Will, it was in your honorable mentions. A lot of people really loved this one. And it's just amazing. Like Looking back when we were thinking about 2018 last year and some of the films that we were really looking forward to. Well, I remember like we talked about this one and I, I remember being cautiously excited for all of the right reasons. I think, I think we were both talking about the animation being very interesting. That first trailer that they dropped really just sort of, or was a teaser kind of selling us on this alternate take on Spider-Man. And I'm so thrilled to see this one be so successful, especially with us Cinemaholics. That is our number one film of the year collectively. And what do you think? Will? do you think this is the right choice? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it seems to be the film that is, uh, above all else, really connecting to everybody. I mean, I can't think of any one person that dislikes this film, let alone doesn't, like, through the loop, uh, through the roof loves it. So, uh, yeah, it makes sense. For sure. I, I agree. And uh, I know it wasn't as high up for you, but yeah, it is hard to find somebody who just straight up dislikes it. So we can definitely take that as praise and take that as a good reason this one to be our number one film but that will do it for our top 10 films of 2018 thank you so much for listening to this little bit extra long episode of the show but we're really happy to do it really happy to have so many other voices on here i hope that everyone got a pretty full rundown of all the films talked about here we're going to be posting the full top tens from everybody who contributed so you can take a look there are a lot of other films that people put on their list that we didn't even get to i mean off the top of my head black Klansmen. we had burning some people had what they had crazy rich asians lots of other films to talk about that weren't even outliers but we didn't get to so we're going to be posting all of that in the show notes so just keep a look keep an eye out for that link and with that i think that's going to do it for us this week from the internet pencil or i almost said from the internet pennsylvania i'm just oh, wow. in a, i'm in a pennsylvania mood or something from the internet I california so. i am john Gurney. and from the internet pennsylvania i'm will ashton we'll see you next time